Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, game one goes to Memphis. What a downer. Donovan Mitchell doesn't play. Rudy Gobert fouls out. The Jazz are miserable 12 of 47. It's like 26% from the three-point line, and they lose. Now, I suppose you could argue, and I think later this morning I probably will, that Mitchell didn't play. Gobert fouled out. The Jazz had a horrific three-point shooting performance, and they still only lost by three points. Memphis's margin of error is so slim, but they pulled it off. Dylan Brooks had a big game with 31 points. He's a villain. He loves to talk. He may get fined, but probably nothing more than that for that little headbutt he had on uh, Mike Conley, trying to get in Conley's head, and Conley's just looking at him like, seriously, I've been doing this 14 years. You were, where were you, in the fourth grade? I was in the NBA. I was in the final four and you were in kindergarten. Leave me alone. This is a great look from Conley. It's not going to rattle him, but Dylan Brooks tried anyway. So the Jazz get beat. Now they got to figure it out for game two. Is Donovan Mitchell going to play? I want to say I think so, but I thought he was going to play in game one. So I don't know what to tell you. It's five weeks and counting, and that ankle must be all sorts of jacked up from however bad it was originally, which is worse than I think many of us assumed. PK said he heard something a little while after it happened. Uh, setback along the way, whatever. It's, it's hard to believe after five weeks he's not back, and they missed him. But having said that, they should have won the game anyway. Had opportunities. Had opportunities. They were 15 early. Memphis was reeling. The Jazz were throwing the ball all over the gym, and Memphis couldn't convert it into points. Jazz had eight turnovers in the first quarter and led by seven. And they only had six turnovers the rest of the game. I thought Quinn made a uh, point, and you'll hear this coming up, that the passing wasn't precise. And, you know, when a bad pass ends in a turnover, it's glaring. But when a guy's open and you don't hit him with a good passing rhythm, he's got to catch the ball above his head or way to his left or right or down in his ankles. It's a bad pass. It doesn't go down as a turnover. But if it gets a shooter out of rhythm and you miss a good chance at an open shot, that's that's a problem, you know. Uh, The thing that jumped out at me were the offensive rebounds, which – Originally said 17, now I guess they changed something, downgraded to 16, but uh, that, was, that was a lot of bonus possessions for Memphis. And the Jazz defended really well in the first quarter, 17-point quarter, but boy, the stops were few and far between after that. It started lighting it up. Memphis really had it going in those last three quarters. And I just think, and part of that's Rudy being gone. I thought Favors came in and did a lot of good stuff. He had a double double in 23 minutes, 12 points and 11 boards, I think, unless I just got that backwards. Uh, blocked four shots. I thought he really competed for some of those rebounds. You know, and you can look at a box score and see how many rebounds the guy has, but you got to see how many of them are really contested and how many he's the only one around and the ball came straight to him. I thought he really had to battle in there to get some of those boards. So, But the thing he does have is the intimidation factor. You know, guys will go at him, and I just think when Gobert leaves, the other team plays more aggressively. You know, and I I don't know what Favors is supposed to do about that. I don't think we'll ever see a backup center uh, during Gobert's career who keeps that same intimidation factor going. It just doesn't seem possible. That's why Rudy gets Defensive Player of the Year and makes all NBA teams. And I thought uh, I thought Favors did a lot of good things, but he just he doesn't have the aura Rudy has. And Rudy's got it. All right, we'll have the best of the post-game show coming up. We'll get you uh, more from the Jazz. You'll hear from Rudy. You'll hear from Mike Conley. Boyan Bogdanovich, who did nothing, could not score, could not score in the first half, went berserk, especially in the fourth quarter. Had a solid third quarter. 
but he just went nuts in the fourth quarter. You'll hear from him coming up as well. Uh, coming up next, though, we're going to talk a little football with uh, Pete Futak on the Pac-12. And that's on the way. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Right now, time to talk college football with Pete Futak, national college football writer for collegefootballnews.com. Pete, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. So, the Pac-12 has a new commissioner, and uh, you wrote uh, something at College Football News, kind of looking ahead, multiple things that they need to do and then they need to work on in the conference office to Vegas, and Vegas is going to become to the Pac-12, what Atlanta is to the SEC. So you go through a lot of these things, but then you get to conference expansion, you throw 10 teams out, and you know you're going to get a call from Salt Lake City Radio when you write this, don't you, Pete? You did it on purpose. Um, of course. <laughs> well, that's part of the deal. But the whole point of the article is like, if now that you've got this guy in George Klyukov who's going to be progressive in the way he's going to want to attack TV deals, uh, making the Pac-12 a bigger deal, the whole point of the article was like, all right, on day five, after he gets everything settled in and they sit down and say, okay, how do we make this thing bigger? He's kind of alluding to the idea of, opening up expansion talk. And so the idea is, okay, if you're in that room and you're talking about expansion, where do you look to do this? And these are the teams and the schools that they should be talking about. So you have BYU, and BYU brings a lot to the table, but Utah's already in the media market. There's the different philosophies, BYU being a church school, some they play, some other political issues, whatever they might be, could be an impediment. But I always thought, and I agree with you, and the thing that you say is that you know you don't think it's going to happen, but a scheduling agreement, because we see that Notre Dame has one with the ACC, and Notre Dame doesn't really need one, but they, they have one, whereas BYU, if they can get a scheduling agreement with the Pac-12 because it's sort of de facto as it is, and I would love to see for BYU going forward four games every year against the Pac-12, four games every year against the Mountain West, and then they can figure out the other four. What do you think the uh, reality of that being that they can actually get a scheduling agreement literally playing three or four schools with the Pac-12 every year that has to be happened because the contract says it? Yeah, I don't know if you need the contract necessarily, but the very least, like you said, they can have sort of the Notre Dame, and I keep calling it the friends with benefits deal with, uh, where you're in, but you're kind of not. You you know you can go play other teams, but you really are kind of an ACC team if you're Notre Dame, and you're at least thought of in that group. And it's not just this whole story when you talk about expansion and contracts isn't just about sports it's about the affiliation it's about you know just being a part of something big and obviously you know Notre Dame is is right there in Big Ten country and you know the Big Ten schools are generally stronger for the most part than the ACC schools up and down Uh, but still the ACC is obviously a very good academic conference 
it's obviously got a whole lot of uh, prestige in a whole lot of ways. And so just that kind of affiliation that shows that, yeah, Notre Dame is at that level of overall affiliation, even if Notre Dame's probably right there with Duke as the best academic university in the, in the ACC mix. Same thing for BYU. You know, BYU, from a, um, a business standpoint, makes perfect sense for the Pac-12. You know, you have a humongous international fan base. You have a, an energy that's there. <coughs> Excuse me, I tickled my throat. And you've got this, uh, what, what they are really are missing across the board, which are fans. You know, it's it's kind of lost in this whole thing with the Pac-12. Why isn't the Pac-12 making the gobs of money that other places are? It's because they don't get the butts in the seats. It's you know you don't get a hundred. You don't have the hundred thousand sta- you know seat stadiums uh, packed with, like you have in the Big Ten and, and the SEC. You don't have you know your your one of your flagship. Uh, programs is Oregon and if you look at you know who are the top 20 programs in the country and certainly Oregon's up there you know it has almost uh, half just barely over half as many fans in their stands because often so small compared to the Ohio States and the Alabamas of the world so uh, you've got the big stadium you've got the international fan base you've got the fire and everything like that but again like you said it's it's a little bit of a philosophical problem there compared to where the Pac-12 might want to go um because they're going to want just state schools they don't want private schools you want big alumni bases big state schools and for BYU for right now yeah if you could find a way to make it uh get the Pac-12 in there as much as possible that'd be great but at the same time if you're BYU it's also kind of nice to be able to schedule anybody you want. So that's a little bit that's, – that's the big positive about being an independent. I thought one of the other interesting things in this uh, story was that you thought they might make a run at Oklahoma and that Texas was unattainable and that maybe Oklahoma and Texas would be fine with going their separate ways for a long time. They were in different leagues, Big 8 and the Southwest Conference. So is this more speculative? Is there really stuff out there? How serious is this? Oh, it's all speculative. I mean, right, again, the whole point of the article is saying if you're if you're meeting and saying who do we go after, this is who you go after. And you know, if you remember ten years ago, Oklahoma was just this close to being a pack at the time it was Pac ten, a Pac twelve school, and they were almost there. I mean, there was all the expansion talk was kicking in. There was uh, the Big Ten in Texas were talking. You had all this this momentum about Texas Tech and Oklahoma State and Oklahoma possibly moving. Uh, so there's always been sort of that underlying current that, yeah, that might be the program to go get. The problem uh, for the Pac-12 with Texas is it's the by far the most profitable college football program going. I mean, they just that place is just a cash machine, and it it just makes too much financial sense for. Uh, Texas to to move in. They don't want to share any of that pie with the Pac-12. Better for them to rule the roost and then go after uh, American Athletic Conference programs like Houston and you know Cincinnati and Memphis and even maybe UCF or USF uh, than it would be to move to the Pac-12. Uh, and even the Big Ten would actually move, make, make sense for them. But Oklahoma has always, again, they were right. They were really really close. And that's the type of move where if you're Oklahoma and you want to raise your school's overall profile, that's how you do it because that's where you go nationally because the Pac-12 just makes sense. It's an obviously fish-out-of-water thing comparing the world of Norman, Oklahoma to Los Angeles. 
but you have some you have some general ties there, especially if you can get some of the other Big Twelve programs to jump jump in. And if you're the Pac-12, you desperately desperately have to have a big time football program in the Central Time Zone because the the whole Pac-12 after dark thing is cute and all, but your product fails if half the country's asleep when some of your best games are happening. How about the other way around, Pete, that the Big 12 goes after the two Arizonas and two L.A.s and brings them in? Uh, that's a, the problem with that is the Big 12 just not been progressive enough in that way. I, to, for the life of me, I do not know why the Big 12 has not snapped up uh, you, you know, South Florida and uh, UCF. Those are two gigantic schools with 50,000-plus enrollment, massive alumni bases, and they've got, well, well, the idea of a TV market doesn't matter quite as much now in a streaming world. It does matter when you have just the general media market areas. You've got Tampa and you've got Orlando. You've got the I-4 corridor there. That should be a no-brainer. It should be a no-brainer to get to expand further and give West Virginia kind of a, well, Cincinnati's not quite a next-door neighbor geographic rival. At least it makes sort of philosophical sense to get a Cincinnati or to get Memphis or to get, even though you are a Texas-based conference, to get Houston uh, just to lock down that area of the world. But they just haven't wanted to do it. They just have not been progressive in that. And the problem for the Big 12 is, you know, why would the Pac-12 teams do that? Why would Arizona, uh, Arizona State and the L.A. schools give them their markets? Because right now, who's your biggest TV market if you're uh, the Big 12? It's Dallas and uh, you know, some of the Texas markets, maybe Kansas City to a certain extent for basketball. Uh, but even that's become more SEC-centric with Mizzou going to the SEC. So it's really not an advantage for the L.A. teams to go do that. And on the flip side, Again, kind of the point here is you've got this commissioner who's coming in who is going to want to change up everything, and he's going to make uh, the more interesting deals out there to try to make this Pac-12 a whole lot bigger and stronger. You throw out a lot of Mountain West schools here, but I think for one reason or another, academically, the Pac-12 has always been really opposed to letting in state schools that aren't major research institutions like San Diego State and Fresno State or UNLV, Nevada. Boise State's academics have always been an issue. So you put them on the list, but that would take a major, major change from the presidents to sign off on anything like that. Which is why Boise State's low on the list, which is why Fresno State's low on the list. I mean, you know, I, I'm not dogging any of these academic institutions by any stretch, and you're right. It's all about research more than just academic prestige. But, you know, it's not like Arizona State and Oregon State are you know, the Harvards of the West. I mean, you've got Stanford, you've got Cal, you've got UCLA, USC, some of the most prestigious colleges in, in the country. San Diego State is kind of up their profile. San Diego State's done enough uh, to, I, I know this firsthand because kid wants to uh, go to Palm Tree U and go live the life in someplace warm, so I've looked into this way too much. But San Diego State is at least gotten up to a, a stronger, bigger overall level. And then from a sports and marketing standpoint, the key to San Diego State is that they don't have an NFL team. You're talking, you know, there's Sacramento, Portland, and uh, San Diego, I think, are the three biggest markets, uh, media markets, that don't have a, a direct obvious tie-in to, a, uh, to, a, uh, to an NFL team. 
after you know the Chargers left to San Diego. So that's an area that's sort of a professional sports town in a, in a slew of ways. Uh, obviously, it's a fickle sports town because it's San Diego and there's just too much stuff to do. But there's a base there, and you can expand that market a little bit more, even though San Diego does obviously own and into the L.A. teams as well. How about BYU to the Big 12? I don't know why that hasn't been pushed more either. I mean, it, it's again, you always have the problem with the, the Sunday. I, I think the Sunday games and things is not that big a deal. I kind of think that's a, that's a little bit of a, a, a talking point to say, oh, this is why it's not working. Again, you're, you're talking about two different philosophical conferences, including geography, including mindsets, including political views and values. And I kind of think BYU matches better with the Big 12. And again, the problem, again, is that the Big 12 just is not that progressive when it comes to expansion. It just does not want to split up its pie because if you're Texas and you're Oklahoma, you're liking this. You know, Texas, again, it's the number one most profitable college athletic department in all of the, you know, the whole game. And Oklahoma's right up there. Overall, their TV deal for now isn't all that bad. And it's actually better in a lot of ways than the, what the Pac-12 brings. Uh, I, to me, if you're able to get by, uh, you know, the, the private school aspect and, you know, the other parts of BYU that some don't like, well, that's a, I always said that is a great fit because, again, you're talking about a, a big, gigantic international fan base. You're talking about a pretty decent market there with you guys in Salt Lake. You're talking about a big stadium. It just increases that footprint that much more, and it raises the overall profile. And for the Big 12, that would be a great expansion call. I think of all the things you said that are most intriguing, I think it's when you brought up streaming, because it's clearly where everything's going. The question is how quickly the NFL just signed an 11-year deal. And they did put Thursday night streaming on Amazon. Uh, yep. and, and it'll be interesting to see when this deals up in 11 years, what happens to all the traditional networks and how the NFL handles that. But in a streaming world, the BYU fans who are scattered, who aren't a factor in the cable TV world, but the 5,000 fans who are in Tennessee, the 3,000 fans who are in Maine, the 15,000 fans who are in Florida, all of a sudden, start adding that up, BYU will be in a whole different weight class. <laughs> it'll be yeah. the, the money side of it will be different. Uh, but I just wonder how close we are to that and how much longer Cougar fans have to wait. But they, they draw five to 10,000 fans wherever they go in the country. And if those people will buy streaming, and then I would expect they would, that changes, that changes the math equation for mega money. It also changes why BYU would want to join a conference. You know, again, the, 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 the thing about some of the – it depends on the religious schools and where they're at in general. For example, you know, Notre Dame is just a different animal because it's Notre Dame. But a place like Liberty, I'm, I know I'm comparing, you know, apples to, you know, bananas here when it comes to this. But the problem with Liberty is, while it's it, – got sort of that religious affiliation. There's a lot of baggage to that, which, you know, the Conference USA's of the world don't really want to to take on. BYU, the religious factor, I don't think it should be the the big deal it would be as it would be for other places. I mean, look at the, you know, the Big 12 itself. You've got a place like TCU, you know, which is, 
you know, Texas Christian University. You know, they, there is a, re- a religious tie-in there. There are. It's not really that giant a barrier, I think, for the Big 12 as it would be for uh, the Pac-12. And when it comes to the streaming side of things, you're right. Again, it's. It, I love the the idea of business-wise at BYU. I just. It, it, the fan base is just there. I, I know it. I, I know. I can tell from the articles I write and the you know the appearances I make that there's a, there's such a positive energy with that base that's just going to be you know just rabid for anything it does. But if you're BYU, it might make more financial sense just to stay on your own. The only reason why BYU might want the affiliation would be for the affiliation in terms of academics and just being part of the whole research uh, side of things like you alluded to before. And in that way, shape, and form, the Pac-12 is miles ahead of the Big 12. I know Big 12 people always yell at me for this, but it just is. You just, you would, if you're BYU and you're going to make that move, you really would rather be affiliated with the Pac-12 than you would be with the Big 12. And being independent's not that bad. You know, they're making money. You know, they, they get to keep it all. It's a nice deal. You get to create your own schedule. Yeah, I know from a sports side of thing, it's frustrating because you don't have that, you know, you know, conference championship to play for. Uh, but in, at the end of the day, money-wise, revenue-wise, it's a really sweet deal for, for the Cougars. Well, Pete, we'll uh, tweet out a link to your story, and people can read it for themselves. And uh, you can check him out online, collegefootballnews.com. Pete, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Anytime, guys. You have a good one. There's Pete Futak talking Pac-12 football. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. The Utah Jazz drop game one to the Memphis Grizzlies, 112-109. What went wrong? Quinn Snyder, Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, Bojan Bogdanovic, they all explain. Here's the best of the postgame show. It's your Jazz Recap Playoff Edition here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Jake Scott with you. Memphis beats Jazz in game one of their best of seven playoff series, 112-109 in a very chippy, often ugly game uh, between these two teams. Jazz had trouble shooting the three, just 12 of 47, 25.5%. The Grizzlies got big performances from Dylan Brooks and John Morant, uh, job, particularly in the fourth quarter. Brooks had 31. Morant finished the game with 26. The Jazz did have a furious comeback in the fourth quarter, led by Boyan Bogdanovich, who finished the game with 29 points. Uh, 20 of those he scored in the fourth. Mike Conley had 22, but uh, the Jazz had a tough time putting the ball in the hoop. And of course, Rudy fouling out in the fourth quarter did not help matters much either. But let's get some post-game sound. Let's start things off hearing from Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Our first question will come from Matthew Cole's AP. When when things weren't going right for you offensively, what were you able to do to get uh, Boy on on tracks there and, and and get him rolling a little bit? Well, I think there were some opportunities for him um, where he got in the post, you know, and, and, and was able to put some pressure on the defense there. Um, you know, we tried to get him in some pick and roll actions and. 
force some switches where he had a, a matchup that he could attack. Um, but the other thing is, you know, he's going to get a lot of his stuff in transition and for us to, you know, play with the kind of force and pace we want, um, whether it's on makes or misses, you know, a lot of those throw heads and threes, I, I thought, you know, he passed a few up in, in the first half. Um, and, you know, with his size, if, you know, if he's ready and prepared to shoot, he'll, he'll make some contested shots. And, you know, he did that as the game went on. Sarah Todd, Deseret News. And obviously not the result you wanted. You obviously wouldn't want to see um, Rudy get into foul trouble like that. But can you just talk about what you got out of Derek Favors tonight? Yeah, I mean, he, he, he had great energy. You know, I, I thought when he came in the game, you know, he made plays on the offensive boards. You know, he finished it uh, around the rim, you know, and gave us – you know, gave us a big lift, as you said, with, with Rudy in foul trouble. I thought, you know, Mike's foul trouble um, hurt us, um, you know, it, it, dur during that one stretch where he was out because, you know, he controls the game for us. Um, but, you know, as you said, talking about Fave, that he's, he's had games like that. You know, there's games he doesn't play as many minutes. Um, and he's always been, you know, ready. Um, and obviously, you know, I think tonight, you know, he mentally he was he was prepared and you know, I thought took his game to another level. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Quinn, uh, not one of your guys better three point shooting nights. It seemed like Memphis was really kind of being aggressive and physical. Were was anything unexpected there or did you guys have any difficulty kind of handling uh, their defensive scheme at all? No, I mean, I, I thought, you know, to the extent we we got clean looks, um, you know, that during those possessions, you know, the ball moved, um, you know, and those are shots that, that we have to take. I mean, when when we try to drive closeouts and, and don't take shots, uh, we're just much less efficient. Um, and that's not to say you don't attack the rim, um, but I think the biggest thing for us is when we shoot the ball, it's a quick decision. We have a chance to rebound it. You know, we have a chance to make it. Um, and w when we don't make quick decisions, if the ball doesn't move, if we hold it. You know, I, I think that's when their length and physicality, you know, catches up um, because they're able to shift and lock in. So, um, you know, in addition to, you know, pushing the ball up the floor and looking for those opportunities, I, I think our reads – um, before we get the ball, whether it's to shoot or move it or drive it, um, have to improve. I mean, that, that's where I think the, the 14 turnovers came from. And, and I think there were a number of plays where, you know, passes were errant that, that we couldn't shoot. But, you know, George Yang is, you know, I want, don't know what he w was tonight because I, I'm still blind, but um, one for six, you know, those were clean looks. And if he stopped shooting those shots, I'm, you know, I'm mad at him um, because we make those shots. And the thing for us is if, if the ball's not going in, it just means we need to be even more efficient and more locked in, um, particularly on the defensive end. Um, and that really, you know, whether it was the offensive rebounds or the turnovers, we just – they had a lot more possessions than we did. And, um, you know, that's hard to overcome. And um, I was happy with the fact that we, you know, we fought and, and gutted it out and we're, you know, back in the game there um, at the end. Um, but I think we all know we, we need to play better and uh, we need to execute better. And that's something that, you know, we need to come out game two and do. 
Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. Quinn, I guess maybe because there were so many storylines in this game, it's a vague question, but what's your main takeaway? Well, I, I think, you know, I, I think just our, you know, we've talked about competing and executing. I thought we competed. I didn't think we executed on the level that we need to, um, you know, in this moment in the playoffs. And, you know, I, I think our guys know that, um, you know, we know the things we need to, to do better. Um, and that's really, that's what you take from it. You know, the, the biggest thing is we, we lost the game um, and understand you know, the things we either didn't do um, or need to do better um, in order to, to correct that and come out and, and win game two. All right, time for one last question. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Quinn, both Mike and Rudy got in foul trouble today, and I'm, I'm curious kind of how you decide whether or not to sit those guys when they, when they get in foul trouble or keep them out on the floor in, you know, an important playoff game. Well, that, that's always a tough decision. And, you know, I think the flow of the game dictates a lot. You know, in Mike's case, I think they, you know, the, the, the lead got up to, I don't know if it was 13, but it was the, the game was getting away from us a little bit. So um, we put him back in, you know, at the end of the third, you know, four minutes or so, um, because I felt like, you know, he was impacting the game. And we were just we were we were steadier with, with him in the game. Um, and then in, in Rudy's case, you know, Fave was playing well, so you're able to hold, you know, hold on a little longer um, in that instance because you know Fave's doing such a good job. So um, again, it's it, your feel for the game. Um, you get a chance to to match somebody up on a certain player that that can be more difficult. You know, if they're going at Valanciunas with Rudy, um, so a number of factors that went in. But um, I, I felt like we needed to get Mike back in there to stabilize, and in Rudy's case. Uh, the way Fave was playing, you know, we could hold off. There's Coach Quinn Snyder said his team fought hard. Execution, though, was the issue as they lose to the Grizzlies, one twelve to one oh nine. Let's now hear from some of the players. Start things off with Rudy Gobert. Our first question will be from Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Rudy, your guys' defense was pretty incredible. About until about halfway through the second quarter, they were they had only twenty one points at that at that point, and then things started to turn for you guys. What kind of what kind of changed the game from that point on? I think turnovers. Uh, you know, we gave them way too many uh, easy points in transition uh, from turning the ball over. You know, we know that. Uh, you know when the when they're playing against a half-court defense, it's a different story. And, uh, you know, like giving them either offensive rebounds or, or turnovers, we, we give them a chance to, to get going. And, uh, you know, we got to watch the film and see, you know, what we can do better to be able to play through, through their physicality and, you know, take better care of the ball. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune is next. Rudy, it was the only time all season that you fouled out. Why, why was that? You know, was it the matchup? Was it the refereeing? You know, kind of what, what went into that? I mean, we played them three times already, so I don't think it's the matchup. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was hard for me to try to figure out what kind of game they were calling. Uh, you know, early in the game, they were allowing us to, you know, play physical. And, and then at some point, they, they hit me with two quick ones on rebounds. When Valanciunas is doing the exact same thing, you know, so it's kind of hard for me to to find ways to, to just get into the game when you know I can't really, I don't really know if I should play physical or 
you know, if I, if I should, you know, set it more when he pushes me, but then they don't cut it. So I just, I mean, it was, yeah, it was hard for me to kind of like know the way to, to play the game. And uh, I was kind of, yeah, it kind of threw me off a little bit. So I'm going to just watch the tape and see, you know, what, like the part that I can, you know, do better. And, uh, and no matter what, I can let that, you know, uh, affect me and I can't lose my focus. Matthew calls AP. How difficult was it to defend them when Brooks and Moran are, are going downhill towards the basket when you have to stay with Alan Tunis? I mean, we, we, we know what they're going to do. Uh, John Morant is one of the, you know, most athletic guards in this league. You know, he's really good at, you know, getting to the rim. And, uh, you know, uh, for us, it just, it's just about doing what we do. You know, we, we've been doing it all year. You know, we, we're great at protecting the basket, but sometimes they're going to make, we know that sometimes he's going to make some tough shots. Same with Dylan Brooks, but uh, I think we just got to do everything a little better, you know, communication or physicality. And, uh, and we're going to make sure we, we don't give them any second chance points. And once we come out with those balls, uh, it's a different game. And same with the turnovers, you know, when those guys are able to get out in transition, uh, you know, it gets them going. And, you know, we got to be more poised with the ball and make sure that, uh, you know, we, we don't turn it over as much. Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Rudy, obviously fouling out is not what you want, but what did you see out of Fave in those minutes when you were in foul trouble originally and then when he had to come in for you when you went out? I mean, Fave gave us a chance. You know, he, he brought us back into this game, uh, you know, with his with – his, his physicality, his mindset, and, and the plays, you know, on defense and on offense. So, you know, we, I mean, that's why we brought, we brought him back. You know, Fev is a, is a great player and, uh, you know, and he's a huge part of our team. And, you know, we didn't get the win tonight, but it's going to be some nights when Fev's going to win us some, win us some games, you know. So, yeah, it was, it was huge tonight. Uh, next up, David Cinelato from La Gazette dello Sport out of Italy. Um, hi, Rudy. Um, what do you think costs you guys the game? Uh, I think we got a few moments when we were, you know, distracted, disconnected. Uh, you know, I think we let uh, some of the calls affect us. You know, all the little things that, you know, we gotta we gotta put aside. You know, we gotta we know that <laughs> we know that we do Utah Jazz, so we know that we gotta, you know. Um, just don't get distracted, you know, focus on ourselves, stay connected, all the five guys on the court and, you know, coaching staff, the bench, everybody, we just got to stay connected and kind of like don't let anything, you know, all they're talking, you know, they're talking after every, every time they score, they're talking and we know that's the way they like to play. So we can't just, you know, let that affect us. We just got to, you know, play our basketball, do what we do and, uh, you know, stay locked in. Ben Anderson, KSLsports.com. Rudy, you mentioned the execution being pretty poor a few times now. What was that? Was that rust or was that something Memphis was doing? Probably a, a little bit of everything. You know, uh, obviously we haven't played a real game in about a week, so it's not an excuse. You know, it's, we shouldn't lose this game, but uh, I think it's just a little bit of everything. And, uh, you know, yeah, we, were, we, had, we had some moments when we executed and, you know, we got back in the game down 17 or down 16. We got back in the game just by playing our game and executing. And uh, there's some moments when we, 
yeah, we got a little distracted. We we weren't connected, and uh, we turned the ball over. You know, giving up a few offensive rebounds, and all of a sudden, you know, it's we down twelve, down fifteen, and you know, those guys are uh, hungry. They're a really good team, and they want to prove themselves too. And you know, they they earn this win. Last question, Tim McMahon, ESPN.com. Hey, Rudy. Um, when did you find out that Donovan wasn't going to be uh, able to play tonight? And how did that, how did that affect you guys? Uh, when I found out when we woke up from the nap, so about 4 p.m. And how, how did that – I mean, obviously, you guys go through shoot-around. You've been practicing. I mean, it's got to be a surprise. How did that – It was a big surprise, but, uh, you know uh, – I just don't know. I, I kind of stay. I try to stay out of all this because you know it's just gonna give me a headache. Like I, I just, you know, I, I think hopefully it's, it's good for next game. That's what I'm worried about. You know, and uh, obviously when you find out when you wake up, you get ready for a game, and you find out that you know your star player is not gonna play. Uh, you know, it throws you off a little bit, but. You know, at the end of the day, like, yeah, hopefully as long as he's healthy and ready for the next game, that's that's what matters. There's Rudy Gobert, 11 points, 15 rebounds, three block shots, said he had a tough time gauging uh, how the uh, how the game was going to be called. And, of course, uh, him fouling out uh, did not help matters much, although Derek Favors did come in and play amazingly well. Fave finished with 12 points, 11 rebounds, and four block shots. Let's get more player sound. Let's uh, hear from Boyan Bogdanovich. We'll get started with Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Boyan, did you feel like you guys needed maybe a little bit too long tonight to get the energy to the right place? I mean, we had a we had energy right from the beginning and 17 point uh, quarter. It's it's good good for us. We had an early early lead, and then uh, I mean, it's just so many live turnovers, and they were able to. To run to our backs right uh, and had a, a have easy easy bucket. So I think that we came out with the energy, but uh, we lose that uh, that energy in the middle of the of the game. I don't know the reason. Like I said, a lot of a lot of turnovers, but live turnovers. Eric Wallen, Salt Lake Tribune. Boy, on several uh, several people have said tonight that you know there was there were issues with the execution. Uh, what do you attribute that to? Was it, you know, was Memphis doing anything differently? Was it their physicality? Was, did the rust play a part? Um, why did you guys have trouble executing offensively? I mean, we knew how they're gonna, how they're gonna play. They were, they were aggressive once again. We didn't have a problem to execute last, last couple of games against, against them. But like I said, we were trying trying to go inside and, 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 and shoot over their, their bigs and, and, and we didn't like you said we didn't execute. We didn't have a those first first pass for the for the easy shot. So we were just trying to be extra aggressive in the in a, in a first half of the of the game. Matthew calls the AP what did it take for you to get into that aggressive mindset and, and really go up? You had zero points at halftime, and then the second half you had quite a few. And then on that last play, maybe tell us what happened uh, when you were down three to try to get that last shot. 
I mean, I wanted to get in a game with uh, with some easy easy shots or easy or free throws. Didn't want to force anything, and then I was I was getting nervous for the for no reason. So, and then on half time, everybody was cheering me and and and, and telling me that I have to shot because I passed some some wide open open shots and. I missed the the playoffs last year, so I I knew that uh that uh, that a team needs me to be to be more aggressive and trying to trying to go there and and and, and get my my own shots. Last play, I mean, it's come to the last play, but uh, we lost the game. Way before, I had a, I had a great look. I I was in a I was in a great mood. I I hit a couple threes before, so I mean, I should I had a pretty pretty good look. That's all I can say about uh, about the last shot. All right, last question will be Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Boyan, just curious when and how you found out about Donovan Mitchell not playing in this game, and, and was that a surprise for you? And then, you know, did that surprise play a role in what happened tonight? I mean, he is our, our leader and best player, but I don't think that that played a big role because we are playing last 20 games without him and, and without Mike and we were playing we were playing great of course that we miss him especially in the, in, the, in the playoffs we we all know how how good he is I mean I don't know what uh, what happened honestly with the uh, with the decision for him and and, uh, and medical stuff to to keep him out so you should you should ask ask him. There's Bogdanovich, 29 points, 20 of those coming in the fourth quarter, 8 of 16 shooting. He went 9 of 9 from the line as well. Let's wrap up the player sound uh, with Mike Conley. We'll start with Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Mike, at what point did you find out that Donovan wasn't going to be playing tonight? And, I mean, how does that change things for you when, I mean, seemingly you thought all week that he was going to be able to go? Um, I- Probably found out about four o'clock uh, today before the game. Um, obviously, that's uh, that's tough on you know our team when we're expecting a guy like that back. But um, you know, we've we've played this season with with guys in and out the lineup, you know, all year. So um, that's no excuse on how we you know go out there and, and perform on a nightly basis. But definitely. Uh, a game changer when, you know, a guy of his caliber is not able to play. Next question, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Mike, even when you guys were, you know, leading the game early, thanks to the defense in the second quarter, you still were having trouble making threes, still were turning the ball over. What was Memphis doing that was kind of taking you guys out of your rhythm, kind of impacting the execution? Um. You know they're a very physical team. Uh, obviously, they lead the league in, in, in creating turnovers, and um, that's because they got you know some defenders that really you know get up into you and and force you into you know tough decisions. And um, and I think we just let that kind of get get a, you know the best of us, uh, especially at the end of the second, early third, where they started making their runs. So um, you know. They, they wanted it. They went on and they really worked for this one. And, and we have to, to match that energy um, and, and be more poised in the offensive end, defensively, um, fight, keep fighting. But, you know, their their team is going to try to create havoc. And, and uh, when we did, you know, in those possessions, when we did keep our feet and stay on the ground and, 
uh, use a ball fake or two, you know, we got open looks and, uh, and that was just a matter of us making them or not. Matt calls AP. Besides their physicality, it looked like there was a lot of pushing and holding and I even saw a headbutt in there. Did any of that throw off your execution? Um, me personally, no, you know, that's just playoff basketball, but, um, it also is, you know, it's distraction, it's distractions that we don't, we don't necessarily need to get involved in. You know, we're a team that we pride ourselves in just, you know, being a well-oiled machine that, you know, is going to run regardless of the situation. And, um, when teams get physical, we get physical back and we just continue to run our, our, our offense and, and, and play our defense and, and keep it moving. But, um, we cannot let that kind of stuff kind of muddy up the game. Um, because you know they they they're a team like I said is gonna is gonna they're gonna throw everything at you and that's another way that they try to dictate how we play. Tim McMahon, ESPN.com. Uh, you've got a unique perspective on Dylan Brooks, having played with him for a couple of years. Uh, what did you think of his performance tonight? And and you know, speaking of some of those antics you were just talking about, how much of a pain in the ass is he? Um, man, Dylan's, uh, obviously he plays with a lot of passion, you know, that's, that's the word I use and you either like it, or you, you either like it or you don't, you know, when you use teammate, you love it. When you play against against him, you hate it. But, um, uh, he was unreal tonight, you know, basically was unguardable there for a few, you know, a few quarters where he was making everything. So, um, obviously, you know, it's game one and, uh, and he performed very well. Uh, we'll have to, you know, adjust some things, you know, next game and, um, you know, just try to try to slow them down. Corey Harrison out of bounds. Hey, Mike, how you doing? All right. So what was your mindset and emotions going into the game, being a former franchise cornerstone for the Memphis franchise for so many years? Um, You know, honestly, it was just, uh, it was exciting. You know, it's very exciting to be playing against Memphis. Um, you know, obviously with all the memories and playoff experiences that I've been a part of with that team, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it, but same time, you know, I'm just like, Hey, you know, this is, this is my job. This is, you know, their team that's, you know, in the way of what I'm trying to ultimately get to. And, and that's a championship. So, um, I got to do whatever I can to try to beat them. And, uh, you know, we can shake hands and, you know, dap up afterwards and, uh, and talk all that, but, you know, you know, going into it, it's, it's been been all about business and just trying to you know keep my mind locked in on the goals. All right, last question, follow up from Sarah Todd Desert News. Mike, uh, getting into the lane and uh, using that floater uh, kind of off the pick and roll is something that you're obviously very adept at. Um, ja is doing that a lot, and that was one of the reasons I think that he, he was able to kind of punish you guys tonight. Is there anything that you guys can do better to defend that? Well, yeah, I think, um, you know, that, that floater has been there, um, a lot of the time against us because of the way we play, uh, we like to drop our big down and protect the paint a lot, um, and kind of give up that mid range shot. And he's very, very good at it. So, um, there's, there's other, other ways we can attack that. And I thought we, we made an adjustment, but it might've been a little bit too late, um, in the game where we started to kind of get higher with our bigs and, um, and kind of, you know, force them to kind of get, get the ball up a little bit earlier. So, you know, 
who knows if that's something that we go to a little bit earlier in the game, uh, in game two. But, um, you know, there's different ways we can attack that and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully force them um, into giving it up a little bit earlier. There's Mike Conley, 22 points, 11 assists for Mike. He was 6 of 18 shooting, 3 of 11 from 3, 7 of 7 from the line. The Jazz will have a chance to even the series uh, here at Vivint Arena coming up on Wednesday night. That game will tip off at 8 o'clock. Pre-game coverage will begin at 7, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. There is the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.